0: Blast, 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 the, blast the, blast the, blast the, blast the Greetings. This is podcast number 73 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com. www.TheRationalRadical.com. Today, we're going to look at a failed, but still ongoing, right-wing propaganda campaign and analyze why it failed. Could it be because the right's actions and policy proposals prove they don't believe the words coming out of their own mouths about the war on terror? Let's get right into it. My sources are the Associated Press, BillOReilly.com, Grolier.com, MediaMatters.org, Answers.com, FineArticles.com. The Weekly Standard, The Washington Post, The New York Times, The Seattle Times, The Iraq Study Group Report, and msnbc.com. This summer, no doubt in desperate hope of scaring up a majority of GOP voters for the midterm elections, the right wing rolled out its World War III propaganda effort. Let's listen to a delightful sampling of right wing lunacy from just one week, July 12th to 19th, 2006. Here's Sean Hannity, opening up his radio show. Welcome aboard, glad you're with us. Well, as World War III breaking out in the middle, it may
1: very well be, and we're gonna go uh, for full, complete, comprehensive analysis that you're not going to get in the mainstream
0: media. Full comprehensive analysis, huh? That same day, Bill O'Reilly on his TV show explained to his viewers whole
1: thing is part of world war three ladies and gentlemen islamic fascism against the west that global conflict unfortunately is here for the foreseeable future
0: in case the first time didn't sink in o'reilly tried to get his guests to sign on to the world war three rhetoric All right, world war three right possibly i think we're in it i absolutely think we're in it master gop strategist newt gingrich who I believe was the originator of this World War III labeling, was given a chance that week to spread the word by Tim Russert on Meet the Press. This is World War III.
2: I I believe if you take all the countries I just listed that you've been covering, put them on a map, look at all the different connectivity, you'd have to say to yourself, this is in fact World War III.
0: Newt kept himself busy. He went on the Today Show to propagandize an all-too-willing Matt Lauer.
2: You put every place in the world right now where our enemies are trying to kill us, and it sure looks like a world war to me. Well, let
1: me, let me actually do that. Let me put that up graphically and show you the fight against radical Islam and look at where they have strong roots as we look at this map
0: right now. In case you didn't know, CNN and its continued self-foxification has given right-wing radio talk show host Glenn Beck his own program. He was certainly not going to be left out of the right-wing rollout that July week of the World War III propaganda campaign. Hey
2: everybody, hurry up! We've got World War III to fight!
1: Yes, it is the end of days, isn't it? Here's what I do know about World War III and the impending apocalypse. It is bad, and it's not just us. It's the whole Western way of life that is in trouble. That's why we need to get on that World War III bandwagon. Now, here's what I don't know. I don't know if there are enough world leaders out there that actually have a spine anymore. Where are the real leaders? Not a lot of people are leading. That's not a real good place to be. Where's Churchill? Where's, where's FDR?
0: Here's more from Beck that day.
1: Would you agree with me that World War Three that, that, that we're here?
2: Oh, we've that's, already st- we've already started it.
1: Yeah. Well, well I think we're in 1938 World War Two. It hasn't it hasn't really hit yet. Where people are like, Oh, I get it. We got to fight. Would you agree? This is like Hitler taking over Czechoslovakia. Right.
2: That's where the stage we're at right now. Right.
0: Okay. Yep. That's just where we're at. Now, besides just telling us that we're in World War Three, the right wants us to know. We have to properly prepare to fight it. Beck. I absolutely know that we need to prepare ourselves for World War III. It is here. Gingrich with Lauer.
1: When you look back at World War II, Speaker Gingrich, do we now today have the allies, the resources, the manpower to win that kind of a war?
2: I think the, mo- the morning we decide this really is the Third World War and the morning we start to engage and mobilize, uh, we will be
0: and Gingrich with Russert.
2: We're in the early stages of what I would describe as the Third World War, and frankly, our bureaucracies aren't responding fast enough. We don't have the right attitude about this.
0: Keep all their talk of preparing, engaging, mobilizing, and responding in mind for later. Gingrich wasn't shy about telling the public exactly what this World War III campaign was really designed to accomplish. As reported in the Seattle Times that very week, quote, Gingrich said he is very worried about Republicans facing fall elections and says the party must have the nerve to nationalize the elections and make the 2006 campaigns about a liberal Democratic agenda rather than about President Bush's record. Gingrich said in an interview Saturday that Bush should call a joint session of Congress the first week of September and talk about global military conflicts in much starker terms than have been heard from the president. There is a political element to his talk of World War III. Gingrich said that public opinion can change the minute you use the language of World War III. The message then, he said, is, quote, Okay, if we're in the Third World War, which side do you think should win? Close quote. The World War III campaign didn't work, obviously. The public was not bamboozled, not stampeded into voting for the GOP to save them from World War III. I'm so sick of the hyperbole about the World War III-level threat Al-Qaeda and its ilk supposedly pose to us that right-wingers incessantly spout. Here's how to call them on it. Many analysts have pointed out that in World War II, our mobilization to fight the Axis powers was pervasive, compared to the complete lack of mobilization now. I decided to check out the numbers. They're quite instructive. When Japan attacked us at Pearl Harbor, the U.S. population was 135 million, less than half of our current population. Yet, we drafted 10 million men into the armed forces for a total armed forces at the height of the war of 16 million. That was 12.5% of the population. Fully 56% of eligible men not excluded because of age, health, or mental aptitude, were in the armed forces. That was World War II. Now what's the comparison today with, in right-wing lingo, World War III? In 2005, there were in the United States an estimated 134 million men and women aged 17 to 49, as big as the entire U.S. population in World War II. Even going a bit narrower, army recruiters seek men and women between 18 and 35. There are 60 million of them today. An additional 4 million enter this age group each year. And how many of these 134 million or 60 million do we have in the military? A measly 1.4 million. And of course, no draft. Not 12% of the population, but less than one half of 1% of the population. World War II had a 24 times higher percentage of the population in the military. On today's population base, we'd have to have an armed forces of 37.5 million men and women to compare to our World War II mobilization. 37.5 million, not 1.4 million. Now, since the right-wingers claim we're in World War Three, what are they calling for us to do? They must be urging that we increase our armed forces in Iraq and overall significantly to a World War II level in order to be able to fight World War III, correct? No. Here's that war hero John McCain's solution. Quote, Senator John McCain said Thursday that America should deploy 15 to 30,000 more troops to Iraq to control its sectarian violence and give moderate Iraqi politicians the stability they need to take the country in the right direction. 15 to 30,000 more troops? What kind of a piddling increase is that to fight a world war? Other right-wingers are in the same ballpark. Quote, Military planners and White House budget analysts have been asked to provide President Bush with options for increasing American forces in Iraq by 20,000 or more. Close quote. Even the craziest neocons of all, in their Bible, The Weekly Standard, only talk in terms about the sixty thousand additional troops to achieve success in Iraq. Where are the clarion calls from the right for millions of additional troops to fight World War three? Look, I'm no military genius, but I do know what's been reported for a long time in Iraq and what the military has confirmed. If our troops enter town A to clear it of insurgents, the insurgents will just melt away and go to another town, town B. Then when the troops leave Town A and go to fight the insurgents in Town B, the insurgents will just melt away again going back to Town A. In other words, we don't have enough troops to secure and then hold, that's the key, and then hold, territory while simultaneously conducting other offensive operations. Let me stress, I'm not saying our troops should be conducting these offensive operations or should be in Iraq at all. Remember, I'm just going through this exercise to illustrate the insincerity of right-wingers based on their own thought processes. If we take right-wing rhetoric at its word, they should be advocating that we have adequate troop levels in Iraq, not 140,000 men and women. But they're not. And what's even worse, all this was known before the war, before we invaded Iraq, quote, General Eric Shinseki Dared to speak an uncomfortable truth to a Senate committee that it would take several hundred thousand soldiers to pacify post war Iraq. There was no promotion for him. His long and honorable career evaporated. Quote. Now, if Shinseki said way back then that we needed 500,000 troops before there was a massive insurgency, how much of an even greater number of troops would we need now to defeat such an insurgency? A leaked Pentagon review recently concluded that one current option in Iraq would be to conduct a classic counterinsurgency campaign and that would require several hundred thousand additional U.S. and Iraqi troops. I say, accepting right-wing logic on its face, if Iraq is Germany or Japan in World War II, we should send in millions of troops to get the job done right, as soon as possible, to protect the survival of our very nation. Again, this isn't what I'm advocating, it's what the right-wing would be advocating had they the courage of their rhetoric. It's the logical consequence of right-wing claims. Obviously, they don't believe their own claims. They are well aware that our military is too small to do what their logic demands be done. Military planners and White House budget analysts have been asked to provide President Bush with options for increasing American forces in Iraq by 20,000 or more. Officials said that the political training and recruiting obstacles to an increase larger than twenty to thirty thousand troops would be prohibitive. In the leaked Pentagon review regarding the option to conduct a classic counterinsurgency campaign with hundreds of thousands of troops, quote, that option has been all but rejected by the study group, which concluded that there are not enough troops in the US military, close quote. Even the Iraq study group also concluded our armed forces are too small. We considered proposals to make a substantial increase, 100,000 to 200,000, in the number of U.S. troops in Iraq. We rejected this course because we do not believe that the needed levels are available for a sustained deployment. Right-wingers, be honest if possible. There is no way using a volunteer army... To recruit, train, and field the several hundred thousand additional U.S. troops in the short time frame that would be required to send them to do the job in Iraq. Increasing our troop strength by several hundred thousand troops, let alone increasing it by millions to World War II levels, would require a draft. Have you heard a single dishonest, sniveling right-winger, a single neocon artist call for a draft to enable us to win their self-proclaimed World War III like we had a draft to win World War II? I haven't. Maybe there's been one that I missed, but clearly, virtually none of our brave warriors on the right have the cojones to call for what their own rhetoric so clearly requires. Come on, let's have a World War II-style draft. With no phony Rush Limbaugh pimple-on-the-butt exemptions. Let the age eligibility be 17 to 50. No, 60. Up till 60 they can do paperwork. Draft me. Yes, I'm 54. But also, draft Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh and Bill O'Reilly and Newt Gingrich and Glenn Beck. Draft those bastards so they can fight World War III alongside me in a foxhole. Send us all to Iraq. As long as I have tough guys Hannity and Limbaugh and O'Reilly in the foxhole, how could I go wrong? Hannity protecting one flank, O'Reilly protecting the other, Limbaugh protecting from the rear, I couldn't be safer. This entire podcast today is essentially about the disconnect between what they say and do, what the right says and what it does. The public senses it, knows it, is disgusted by it. Lately, I haven't heard much World War III talk. What right-wing propaganda campaign about the Iraq War has replaced it? There doesn't seem to be a definitive one yet. The right is still casting around for a propaganda hook that will succeed once again in catching and reeling in the American public. Hey, if at first you don't succeed, lie, lie again. One offering is provided by Bill O'Reilly. What I hear from him often comes a few days ahead of other right-wing propagandists. Bill must get his talking points early. His new right-wing talking points about why we must win in Iraq involved WMD, but not Iraqi WMD, Iranian WMD. It will be the end of life on Earth as we know it should we not have victory in Iraq. Here's O'Reilly in a recent segment opening his TV show. You can get a good taste of the Byzantine illogic that is O'Reilly's calling card.
1: Hi, I'm Bill O'Reilly. Thank you for watching us tonight. The truth about Iraq. That is the subject of this evening's Talking Points memo. First of all, it doesn't matter whether there's a civil war there. That is a media-driven situation. What does matter is if the USA can control the situation in Iraq or whether the country is too far gone into the chaos zone. If the Bush administration has failed there, here are the consequences for you. One, Iran will increase its power and begin to dominate the world's oil flow. That means if Iran tells Gulf Arab nations to charge $100 a barrel, they'd better do it or risk Iran undermining them with terrorism and Saudi Arabia will be the number one target. All Americans will be at Iran's mercy then when it comes to oil. Think about that. Number two, al-Qaeda would also benefit. It would proclaim a great victory over America and set up shop inside of Iraq, working out a loose agreement with Iran. Al-Qaeda terrorists would then have another sanctuary like Afghanistan before we took out the Taliban. Number three, no one could stop Iran from getting nukes because of the oil threat. So they develop doomsday weapons and give them to whomever. So you can see that allowing Iraq to go under would be a catastrophe for the world. But if the Iraqi people will not step up and fight for their freedom, There's little the U.S.A. can do. We can't stabilize that country without most Iraqis on our side. Right now, they are not on our side. Therein lies the biggest foreign
0: policy problem I have ever seen in my lifetime. All Americans will be at Iran's mercy. It will be a catastrophe for the world. Listen to what O'Reilly's doing. He's piggybacking WMD back onto Iraq. Iraq doesn't have WMD, he has to admit. So now he says, if we don't hold on to Iraq, that'll mean Iran will get them. Iranian WMD depends on Iraq. Now, here are the key words O'Reilly spoke for understanding why the World War III campaign failed and why this O'Reilly mutation thereof will be rejected by the public as well. So you can see that allowing Iraq to go under
1: would be a catastrophe for the world. But if the Iraqi people will not step up and fight for their
0: freedom, there's little the USA can do. If the Iraqi people will not step up and fight for their freedom, there is little the USA can do. Our nation's survival depends on whether Iraqis decide to step up and fight. Is that what FDR said about Germany and Japan? If some other country doesn't step up and fight, there's not much we can do? Newt Gingrich is still at it as well, trying to come up with just that perfect propaganda tonic he can get the public to willingly drink. Just this past Sunday on Meet the Press Newt said if we summarily
2: get beaten in Iraq, and that's what we're talking about, if we are defeated in Iraq there are not enough marine elements in the world to evacuate the embassies that will come under siege. I, I think we're entering a period where as Americans we have to pull together in what I think will be the largest complex challenges since the civil war and i don't think there's any period since 1861 in which the nation has been will be as tested as it's going to be in the next 15 or 20 years the biggest
0: test since the civil war obviously more critical than world war ii even we face worse danger than in world war ii according to him and what does mr gingrich propose to do about it not field of vastly increased armed forces, certainly. I'll close by noting that while George W. Bush has delayed until the new year unveiling his new policy proposals for Iraq, earlier this week, the Washington Post reported that Bush, quote, instructed newly sworn in Defense Secretary Robert M. Gates to report back to him with a plan to increase ground forces. The president gave no estimates about how many troops may be added, but indicated that he agreed with suggestions in the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill that the current military is stretched too thin to cope with the demands placed on it. Whatever Bush comes up with in early 2007, remember, his actions will speak louder than his words. Is he going to take steps to muster a multi-million man force to fight World War Three, or not? He won't. So, the next time a right-winger starts in on World War III or similar hyperbolic propaganda, ask them, Okay, since we currently don't have anywhere near enough troops to do the job your own analysis requires... You must be in favor of massively increasing our armed forces and in favor of utilizing a draft because that would be necessary to accomplish that. Correct? When they start hemming and hawing and making excuses like, only a right winger confronted with the truth can, have no mercy. Demand of them, put up or shut up. Back up your rhetoric with commensurate policy proposals or else admit you're a fraud and a liar, scaremongering for no reason other than your own lust for power to scare people into continuing to vote for right-wing, empty-shell warriors. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right and vote for Blast the Right at PodcastAlley.com. There's a one-click link to do each of those on my podcast homepage. You get to the podcast homepage by typing in Blast the Right in Google, and I'm the first result. Here's a quick voting report. Blast the Right is currently at number 13, with 46 votes out of the top 10. How about the first 46 listeners who hear this podcast and haven't yet voted, you go vote right now, and then you'll bring us right into the top 10. Everyone else who hasn't voted can vote as well. A special shout out to all the listeners on KWMD in Kasilof and Anchorage, Alaska, and WUTZ in Summertown, Tennessee. Now a word from another progressive podcaster. Tired of falling asleep during NPR? Board of Uptight blah, blah, News blah, blah, Anchors, blah, 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 blah. the Unimpressed Core might be just for you. From politics to pop culture,
1: this weekly podcast is sure to please even the crankiest Friggin liberal. Rose. Go to www.unimpressedcore.com
0: or the iTunes Music Store and subscribe now. The Unimpressed Core may contain language not suitable for children. Music credits. We'll close with a bit of Catapult Propaganda by Nye's Music. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on the Music Resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on the data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. Thanks to MediaMatters.org for many of the audio clips I used on this podcast. Keep all that great email coming in? Write to me, rational at adelphia.net. If you prefer, you can call and leave a comment for me to play on Blast the Right. Just dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. I can also be reached on Skype. My Skype name is Jack from Blast the Right. I wanted to mention, if you get into an argument with a right-winger about whether or not there's a war on Christmas, check out my podcast number 19, Bill O'Reilly's War Against Christmas. And in that vein, I want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, a joyous winter solstice, and if I've omitted any seasonal celebration, may you have a joyful day on that one as well. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls.
1: In my line of work, you got to keep repeating things over and over and over again to kind of catapult the propaganda. Catapult the propaganda.
0: pulse of propaganda.
1: Chief Weapons Inspector Charles Golfer has now issued a comprehensive report that confirms the earlier conclusion of David Kay that Iraq did not have the weapons that our intelligence believed were there. Um, it turned out that we have not found any stockpiles.
2: I think it's unlikely that we will find these stockpiles. I don't know anybody in any government or any intelligence agency who suggested that the Iraqis
0: had nuclear weapons. That's, that's fact number one. What has not stood the test of time it was the judgment we made that there were stockpiles of chemicals.